Your work is ingenious. It's quality work. And there are simply too many notes. That's all. Just cut a few and it'll be perfect. Make me famous through the world, dear God. Make me immortal. I never knew that the music like that was possible. I was staring through the cage of those ridiculous ink strokes at an absolute beauty. Hello, my name is Sean Patrick Hannafin, and this is the first edition of the Compose Pile. So being the first edition, it's kind of more of a test episode more than anything else, since I've never done an episode of this show before. And so I'm not really sure what the formatting will be, and I'll it'll it's kind of like a rough draft. Except I'm not going to go back and change it. Um, it's just a test episode. If you'll notice at the composepile.com, I'm probably at this point still using a uh, a WordPress default uh what theme. So if that if you think that is a little boring, that's too bad. I'll customize it later, but I don't want to do that right now because that's too much work. Um, also, I don't really have any plans to submit this particular podcast anywhere anytime soon because I still have to figure out all the formatting and if I can do this podcast regularly or not. And then if I do and I get really popular, I'll hopefully can submit it to other places like iTunes and the one with Yahoo and I don't even know what the other ones are. Um... This, the, my plan for this podcast is to do it about once a month, each time for a half an hour to 45 minutes, and then more if I have more time and less if I have less time, which makes the schedule kind of meaningless. But that's the plan, at least. Uh, the software I'm using, in case anyone's interested, at least the software I'm using to compose music, since that's kind of what this podcast will hopefully be about, uh... I'm using Overture 4 as the notation program, and then all the sounds are coming from Garretton Personal Orchestra. Uh, the links to those products will be in the show notes. I've always wanted to say that, to say something will be in the show notes. And now I have the chance. And I'll put those links in the show, show notes. <laughs> um, in case you want to use that same software I'm using. Uh, and then, of course, to record the podcast, I'm using Audacity, which seems to be kind of a standard for people who want free stuff and want to record a podcast. Let's see, the point of my podcast, the point of this podcast, since this is the first episode, I might as well talk about it for a bit. Uh, a couple points. The first one is to listen to myself talk. Because that's always just a nice thing to do. Nobody else really wants to listen to me talk. Well, I guess you do, since that's what you're doing right now. It's just to listen, blah, 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 blah. It's just to blather about whatever I want. Hopefully I won't do that too much, though. Because that might get really annoying. Which is why I don't have any friends. Actually, I don't have any friends because I don't blather at all. And most people do a lot. No offense, of course. 
Uh, the other point of this podcast is for me to basically go over my own music, which kind of sounds arrogant, which I guess it is, but I don't care. I'll try to go over, not not really just go over my music, but go over, since it's the compose pile and the uh, the phrase associated with the compose pile, because it kind of sounds like a compost pile, not to insult myself or anything, uh, is decomposing scores of notes. Because, see, then it's kind of like a play on words, and it's really clever. Which, you know, I came, I, I came up with it because I'm really clever. Uh, so that's, uh, that means I'll go over something I composed because I know that worked the best. I mean, that's uh, musically the best work I know is the work I've composed. Um, and so I'll basically go over what I was thinking when I composed it, basically. But I'm kind of want to aim it at people who are, um, just getting into composing or maybe have never composed before at all just to kind of inspire and give them ideas. Or maybe if you're not even interested in composing at all but you just like listening to music, maybe this will give you some sort of insight into what I was thinking when I composed a piece of music. Which might be interesting, hopefully. Yes, of course it will. Um... And then, of course, it would be to inspire myself, because if I have to do a podcast every month, well, not have to, but if I do plan to do a podcast every month, then that'll hopefully, hopefully doing the podcast will make me want to compose more music and use new ideas in each composition so that I can have something to talk about. Um, That said, I don't really want to talk too much about actual music theory for a couple reasons. Uh, the first reason is that I'm not really an expert in music theory anyway. I'm not like a music theory professor. I, I, I would, you know, if I wanted to teach it, I'd have to look up stuff every month, which would be a good learning experience for me, but I'm not going to do it. Um, because of the other two reasons, which is, first of all, I think it'd be kind of boring in the formatting of a podcast. Um, but the most important reason is that I don't want people to mistake music theory, learning music theory for learning to compose, uh, because music theory is not composing. Um, if you look, if you look through a library or something and you're looking for a book on composing music and the only thing that the book has is music theory, then that I don't know, I personally, that really wouldn't help me. You can study a lot of music theory, but never really know where to start when you compose. There are a lot of elements that go into composing that just aren't part of music theory. And, the you know, if you want to teach someone to compose, well, first of all, you, in many ways, you can't. The best way to learn how to compose is uh, just to practice it and just get down to your piano or your instrument and just start composing and just see where you end up. That's really the only way to even get started. You can study all the... You can't... In other words, you can't sit in a classroom and learn how to compose. You actually have to go do it. 
kind of like kind of like playing the piano. You can't read a book on how to play the piano and then learn how to play the piano. You have to actually start playing the piano. Um, so if you just are looking through books on music theory, that's, you know, that'll contain a lot of great factual knowledge which you can use when you compose, but that's not the same thing as actually composing. You still need to get ideas from somewhere to have something to compose with. And music theory can never provide uh, all the materials you need for that. Otherwise, we we would easily be able to program a computer to compose music, which hardly anybody has done convincingly. A lot of people have some some programs that compose music that just sound awful. Unless you listen to it a lot, and maybe, maybe you come to enjoy it. But... No. And that's true in any art. Uh, both music, uh, literature, if you want to write a book, you don't, you can go to the library and get, you know, dozens of books on writing, but you actually have to start writing if you want to, if you want to write. And, you know, all those books about writing aren't going to give you everything, all the ideas you'll need to, uh, to actually help you write. The, the best thing you can do for writing a book or composing music, uh, just for learning how to do it, is to actually start doing it. Because there are so many more things you learn from the actual experience. Boy, sorry I talked for so long about that. Because that's really not that interesting of a concept. Um, that said, I, that doesn't mean I don't want to have no music theory at all. I just don't want to have like academic planned out lessons about music theory. Because that's that's not composing. That's music theory. Otherwise I'd call this the music theory pile. And I don't that wouldn't I wouldn't be able to have a catchy phrase for that, like decomposing scores of notes. I mean it would be like you know, the music theory pile a big pile of music theory. And that would be an awful awful phrase to be associated with the podcast because it's just so boring. That said, uh, what I'd like to do for probably every episode... Oh, wait, I never made the point I'm going to make. That doesn't mean I don't want to have music theory at all in any of the podcasts. I just don't want the focus to be music theory. Um, but I, I'll probably still mention some real basic things about music theory. So if you're already an expert on music theory, you're definitely not going to learn anything in this podcast. At least music theory-wise. Maybe you might get some ideas, hopefully, maybe, I don't know, who knows. But you definitely won't learn anything music theory-wise. That said, what I'd like to do in most every episode is basically go over a piece of music, as I said near the beginning. And that basically means pulling up a piece of music and just start kind of analyzing through it. Hopefully the introduction won't be as long as it is today as well, since this is kind of a test episode. Um, so the piece I wanted to go through today was the Woodwind Quartet in G minor, uh, but I have no idea where my notation file for that is. I have the MIDI file, so I can still make a, a score of it, which I hope to do and put on the internet as a PDF eventually, but I can't find the notation file that would allow me to play it through GPO. 
Garrett and Personal Orchestra, which is what would make it sound realistic. Otherwise, I'd have to use the MIDI sounds, and that would sound awful. So instead of doing the Woodwind Quartet in G minor, uh, I'm going to do Dragon of the Mist, which is a full orchestral, maybe not a full orchestral, but an or a pretty big orchestral piece. Um, and it's kind of one of my favorites. Actually, I, well, I don't want to have favorites among my among my compositions. They're all my favorites, but the Dragon of the Mist is one of my favorites, along with all the other pieces I've ever composed. Uh, probably won't be able to... Well, I, I, I'd be able to, but I won't. Uh, I won't go through the entire song in this episode. I'll probably save some analysis for another episode, just because I don't want it to drag on for too long. I'm not I'm not sure how, how long these podcasts are usually going to be. I said half an hour to 45 minutes, maybe 45 minutes to an hour. Um, but there's a lot I can blather about in each of my own pieces. So, I know I guess we'll see how long it takes. So, let's take a little break after I've, since I've been blathering for a while now. Let's take a little break and then when we come back we will, we shall start going over, start analyzing, start, st I'll start blathering about Dragon of the Mist. Okay, let's start going over Dragon of the Mist. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm playing basically. I'm playing. I'm going to be playing the uh, music from the Dragon of the Mist through my speakers, my computer speakers, which aren't that great. So quality-wise, I think you'll still be able to get the music fine enough. You know, it's not going to sound horrible, but it's not going to sound as good as it would if I had better computer speakers or if I had a better computer setup in which I could record the music right through the computer. But I can't do that right now because the way I have my microphone set up and the way it's attached to the computer and the way my sound card works, it, it won't allow me to record both the microphone and sounds through the computer. At least I can't figure out how to. I don't think it's possible. Unless I, I might be able to use a different microphone, a cheaper microphone, but I don't want to do that. Because better to have my voice in high quality than the music in high quality, right? Yes, of course, right. The music will sound okay. We were testing it tomorrow. We were, no, we were testing yesterday. Tomorrow hasn't ha happened yet. Um, we were testing it yesterday, and it worked fairly well. It really depends on which piece, of, which part of the music you're at, which you'll hear. But, okay, let's go ahead and get started. Dragon of the Mist. Oh, I also also have my uh, digital keyboard, which I can play some little melodic examples from, which I'll do right now. Uh, I'm just going to play the main theme of Dragon of the Mist. Uh, the main theme of Dragon of the Mist is basically the entire idea for the piece. That's the idea I started out with before I started composing the piece. I basically had the main theme and said, oh, I just love this main theme. I need to compose an entire piece of music just for this beautiful main theme. Um, so the main theme goes something like this. Well, it doesn't go something like this. It goes exactly like this.
Uh, so that's the main theme. It doesn't use that instrument. I'm using some keyboard sound effect just because it's nice and loud. And so you, the microphone can pick it up really nice and easily. But uh, that's obviously not an orchestral instrument. Um, so the piece starts out. So that's the main theme. That won't come in. I'm not sure what measure it comes in. But we'll get to it when we get to it. Um, but the piece starts out, and I start out a lot of pieces this way with just the give you the chord progression, basically. Um, which kind of sets the mood kind of for the piece. So I just give you the chord progression. In this this particular chord progression, the chord progression of the main theme is what you get first. Um, and that's a, a C major, E minor, F major, G major. I think that's how you would say it. Or 1, 3, 4, 5 are the Roman numerals for the triads. And if you don't know about triads and the Roman numerals and you want to be a composer, then you can go look them up. You don't need... I, when I started composing my very first pieces, I had no idea what triads were, I, but I was using them. So if, you, if you're too lazy to look up what triads are, but they're not that hard of a concept. But I'm not going to go over them because I'm too lazy. Um, um, and I basically start out with the uh, cello and double bass playing the root notes of those triads. And uh, in fact, let's go ahead and play. Let's go ahead and play the first four measures so you can just hear what I'm talking about. So that's just you know, those four measures of the of the four chords of the chord progression. Um, the harp is playing, if I play the harp by itself, you can hear that it's just playing Alberti bass. Uh, and that's basically, when you have a triad, uh, an Alberti bass is basically the pattern of going to the root note and then the fifth note of the triad, or the third note of the triad, which would be the fifth of the thing basically of the thing well it sounds like this and uh obviously i i like to use alberti bass a lot and so did a lot of other classical composers um so it's a good thing to use it sounds pretty i think um so if i just play the harp by itself it sounds like this So I was just going through the that chord progression with with Alberti bass. Then we get to in the uh, fifth measure after the chord progression has played through once we get the I guess I could call this theme one. Uh, and theme one comes in with the oboe uh, and that uh, sounds like this. I'll go ahead and play that by itself. Okay, that's not by itself. Okay. I'll play that theme again by itself.
And so that's the first theme, theme number one. Um, the first part of theme number one, let me play that back again. Um, that's the first measure of this first theme. And that's basically exactly the same measure from the main theme, the first measure of the main theme. It's just copied kind of note for note. I mean, there are only four notes, so it's not really that hard or amazing. Uh, but the trick is, since I had the main theme first, I wanted, I basically had to compose kind of an, in, I wanted to compose kind of an introductory theme. And by using that same first measure, it kind of acts as an introduction, I guess. So this, this uh, first theme isn't as, it doesn't have as many notes as the main theme. So in some ways, it's kind of simpler. It's almost like a simpler version of the main theme. And in that way, it might kind of act to kind of get your ears in the mood before you hear the main theme. The third measure of the of that melody goes like this. Um, and that's worth mentioning, I think, because of those those four last notes of that phrase that I just played. Um, and I wanted to point that out because I use that almost exactly that same kind of phrase in a lot of pieces. And it's not something I do. It's a lot, it's something you can hear all over in music that, um, that kind of melodic phrase, I guess you could call it. Let me play it on the keyboard. You can hear it all over in, in lots of music, and I tend to use it a lot in my own music because it just sounds good. Um, or you can do some little variations on it that are also popular, like moving the last note up one step. Kind of makes it sound like it's a more minor uh, instead of major. Or you can move that last note down a step. Um, which I actually used that exact phrase uh, in another melody in this same piece, which we'll get to. So, whenever you're not sure what to, what kind of phrase to use in a melody, you can always use that because it sounds pretty good. Um, not that I always consciously use it like oh I think I'll put this here you know it kind of when you use it so often it kind of just comes to you without you even thinking about it but that's at least something to notice I think I mean I've noticed it in so many other pieces I think that's why I use it so much um because it sounds really good um so after that uh, first theme plays over or, yeah, it goes through once on the oboe. Um, I basically, I don't, I have another four melodies of just chord progression. Um, but it's different from the first four measures of the piece because I basically add in the celesta or the celesta. Uh, however you want to pronounce it. I've heard it pronounced both ways. So I'm not sure which way is right and wrong. I guess they're both right if I've heard it both ways. <laughs> Uh, so I bring in the celesta, and, uh, 
that sounds basically like this. It's basically just playing arpeggios. Not very complex arpeggios. Just basically, well, it goes like this. So you can hear that it goes with the theme number one. It has the same chord progression. Um, actually, and we use the same chord progression for a while. Well, not well, okay, for like 16 more measures. Eight more measures? About eight more measures, I guess. Uh, who cares? Um, so, that's, so that's basically the Celesta playing itty bitty little arpeggios up and down. Bum 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 So it plays through that. So the if you were listening to the whole orchestra at that point, it would sound like this. It's basically the same as the first four measures, but with that celesta added in. And the uh, Celesta kind of makes it sound kind of bright yet mysterious, which I guess is a good dragon-like quality. Um, and then I go back to theme number one. So I'm basically repeating the first theme again, uh, which I do a lot. I, you know, I repeat melodies so you can hear them again because... I guess in many ways that's the main point of most of my music is the melodic content, the melodies. And they're usually pretty simple melodies too, with pretty simple chord progressions. Um, but that's the kind of like the main focus of each of my pieces, so I do, uh, I do tend to repeat the melodies that I like the most. Um, which I think is also good for the listener because that, you know, it, when you're listening to a piece of music and you know what to expect next, then that kind of helps you. You know, a lot of people say, well, I like surprises in my music, but you don't want it to be too surprising or else it, you probably won't consider it music in the first place. So you have to have some sort of something to expect while you're listening. And so if you're repeating a melody, um, especially if you're repeating it not long after you've heard it the first time, then in many ways I think that's more likely to make the listener kind of like the music. Because um, they know what to expect, even though they haven't even been listening that long. So you just repeat the melody. Hopefully it's a good melody. If you wrote a bad melody, then don't ever repeat it. And in fact, if you write a bad melody, don't ever use it at all. Um, so we basically go through the main melody again. Not the main melody, the theme number one melody again. Uh, but this time the orchestration is a little different because if you just repeated it exactly as it was, then that probably would get pretty boring. Um, so at least if you add some orchestration to make it sound like it's like it's building up, I guess, 
then it's less boring. But it's also nice in the sense that the audience knows what to expect melodically. Um, so basically, I have I have it in the oboe again, but I also uh, give it to the flute an octave above it, and I give it to the uh, violins. So those instruments together, the oboe, flute, and violin, sound like this. And, of course, that has the harp and the cellista and the uh, cellos and the double basses behind it playing the harmony. Oh, uh, oh yeah, I wanted to say the uh, doubling strings with woodwinds is another thing I do a lot. Sometimes sometimes you can't even hear the woodwinds like by them. Like if I play this again... If you're not listening for it, sometimes it can be kind of hard to even realize that you're putting woodwinds in there, but you can definitely hear those strings. Um, I have the oboe playing really loudly at this part, so maybe you don't really notice the flute by itself, but if I had taken out the flute, then you would probably notice it. And I do that in a lot of my pieces. And when I listen back to them, I can't really hear the woodwinds that much unless I had taken them out. So in other words, you can't always hear the effect that they're having on the tone of the violins, but they do kind of brighten its tone, even even if the listener can't um, can't consciously tell that it's a violin plus a woodwind. It kind in other words, it kind of a uh, they kind of can mesh into almost this sound of one instrument. Yeah, that was a lot of blather for not much of a point. And then, so I've played the main theme, uh, not the main theme, I've played theme number one twice now, and now I give you the uh, main theme of the piece. And I was talking about, you know, if you're repeating a melody, then you know what to expect melodically. And since the first four measures of this uh, main melody are the same as the first four measures, not the first four measures, the first four notes in the first measure of the main theme, since the first measure of the main theme is exactly the same as the first measure of theme number one, then you might think you know what to expect melodically, but when you get to the second measure you realize this is a different melody. So that's that's kind of nice, I guess. Um, and another thing I do here before before I play the uh, main melody, I can play the the I'm going to play the uh, harmonic accompaniment in the cellos, double basses, violas, and harp. Uh, basically, the main point here is that I was doing the Alberti basses in eighth notes, but now when this uh, the, when the main theme comes in. I change the what the harp's doing into some rapid 16th note arpeggios which sound like this
That, that probably sounds really grungy on my computer speakers. Um, but the main point is that I've now gone into 16th notes, which... Let me, let, if I just play the harp by itself. So these first two measures are the Alberti bass, just so you can have, you know, like a side-by-side -side comparison. Uh, the first two, no, the, I'm going to play four measures, and the first two measures are the Alberti bass, and then I'll have it go into its rapid arpeggios. So it sounds like this. The point is that when I get into the rapid 16th, that's kind of my attempt to make whatever you're listening to at that point more exciting, I guess. It's kind of a way of building it up orchestrationally, um, but it's also a way of making the piece seem much less calm, because up until this point, with the, uh, with the, uh, the smallest note you're ever getting in one measure is an eighth note, and it's kind of steady... You know, it's not very fast. The tempo, what's my tempo? I think it's 120. Oh, the tempo is 100 uh, beats per minute. So the eighth note in the uh, Alberti bass and the harp, which sounds like this. That wasn't very fast, and so it's kind of calm and, but it, well, it's it's steady, I guess you could say. It's calm and steady, and it's not, it's not really that, it's not exciting. Um, but then when I use the 16th notes, that's kind of an attempt to make it more exciting, because now you're listening to the main theme of the piece. So it has to be somewhat more exciting. I introduced the main theme on, in the woodwinds, more specifically in the flute, alto flute, and oboe. And that sounds something like this. If I just play those three instruments with the main theme, it sounds like this. And so that main theme goes with the chord progression we've been using up to this that we've been repeating over and over again up to this point which is the one three four five uh so if i go ahead and add in the harmony so the uh harp violas cellos and double basses which are doing the harmony you can hear how that sounds all together So it's not a very complex piece at all, as you might have been able to hear as I'm just going through everything. It's, you know, it's melody with harmonic accompaniment. That's mostly what this entire piece is. Uh, later on, I get some more percussion in there so I can do some things rhythmically. But, you know, that's mostly what the piece is um, and what most of my pieces are. Uh, now I go into the... Um, I guess you could call this theme number two, and that is introduced on the violins and doubled with the flute. 
And so, I guess before I play that theme, it's worth noting that I changed the, uh, the texture of the harmony once again. So we just went through those rapid 16th note arpeggios in the harp, and now we're calming back down. Uh, since we just played the main theme, now we're going into theme number two, then I want to calm everything down. Not too much, but I want to calm it down because that's the main theme and now you've heard it. Um, so I basically changed the harp arpeggios to eighth notes, descending eighth notes. So they're not an Alberti bass anymore, but they're descending, descending uh, eighth note arpeggios in the harp. And that sounds like this. Um, so you can you might be able to tell that we are now in a different chord progression for this different uh, for this new eight measure melody uh, theme number two. So I have that in the harp, the descending eighth note arpeggios, and now I'll just go ahead and play the um, the main theme, not the main theme, the theme number two by itself in with the uh, violins and flute. Sounds like this. And that is just such a beautiful theme. The thing I want to note about this theme are two things about this theme I want to note. And the first is that right in that third measure, I think it is. Yeah, the third measure, I have those. It's it's almost like a descending. It's almost like an arpeggio. Um, so the fourth note sounded like the fourth measure of that uh, theme number two sounded like this. And that's worth noting because, again, at the beginning of the podcast, I said that this was commonly found in music, this phrase. And that's basically what that part of the melody is. Except I move the last note down a step, so it sounds like this. So it's basically going across the entire octave. Um, and then I do that twice uh, with eight, eighth notes. And that's kind of an interesting measure because that's the only measure in that theme, in that theme number two, that's the only measure that has so many eighth notes. <laughs> um, it's like the most rapid part of that theme. So it's kind of, that's actually the part of the theme that I started out with, and then I built the rest of the theme kind of around that, even though the last four measures really aren't that interesting. They're kind of just kind of like a resolution to the theme. But uh, at the start of the theme, it sounded like this. And that again is that same pattern.
which is the same pattern I use for those uh, eighth notes. Um, so it's just another example of how it's all over the place in my music. Um, and I'm sure I, I'm sure when I wrote that part, I did it very consciously because I knew I was using that same part of the whatever, blah, 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 blah. Okay, let's just move on. Uh, at this point, after I play that theme number two, I come to a, um, kind of an interesting part of the piece. Um, this, I'm not really sure what to call this kind of thing that I do. It's kind of a, I guess you could say it's theme number three. Since we've been counting themes. Or I've been counting themes, and you've been listening to me count themes. Uh, we could say that this is theme number three, but it's kind of a different kind of theme because it's not being played by just one instrument. It kind of needs to be played by two instruments because it's kind of an, it's kind of an, uh, an answer, not an answer, like a call, answer, call, answer kind of thing. Um, and that comes in in the uh, flute and oboe at first. And it goes on, basically the uh, chord progression uh, goes back to what it was at the beginning of the piece, which is one, three, four, five. The harp goes back to its Alberti basses, so it's basically the harmonic underlying of these next four measures, or of these next eight measures, in fact, are exactly the same as they were at the beginning of the piece. Um, but, now we have this new theme number three, that's basically a, 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 a call and answer thing between the flute and the oboe. Um, and I do this a lot, maybe not that much, I don't know how I do it, I think I do it a good amount, in, in a lot of my music where I have one instrument play a phrase, and then I have another instrument play a phrase kind of to answer that phrase, and then another phrase comes in. So each instrument isn't playing a complete melody, but they're all kind of playing pieces of one. Um, but they're all, you know, they're kind of playing different phrases that kind of go back and forth. <laughs> I'm not really sure how else to say that. So let me just play the, um, I'll just play the flute and oboe, uh, by themselves so you can hear what it sounds like. Goes something like this. So in those four, after those first four measures, it then repeats itself, basically. Um, and when it repeats itself, I, all, I double each of the... Uh, I double the flute with the first violins, and I double the oboe with the second violins. So it sounds like this.
And that's basically because I think strings plus woodwinds, that kind of um, doubling just sounds awesome. And just so that the second time it plays through that part of the thing, it sounds less boring. You know, just make it a little more interesting. Just to make those last four bars of that phrase a little more interesting. Um, and then another thing to note is that those... Since, uh, let's see, so this is an eight measure, an eight measure melody, which is really just four measures and then the same four measures repeated. And you can probably hear it. the point I wanted to make is that, um, you know, each phrase goes with the chord progression, but at the end of each phrase, there's that one last note, which carries over into the next measure so that the other instrument that comes in kind of overlaps with it. So there's that kind of overlapping aspect to it which sounds good so if I play if I play this again you can hear that the when the flutes playing a phrase the last note kind of stays there as the oboe comes in and then the last note of the oboe stays there as the flute comes back in so they're kind of overlapping a little And so that's just another thing that I do a lot, and maybe you should do it too. <laughs> After that, uh, I'll only go through the next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight measures today, and then I think that'll be enough for the first episode because then we do a, um, we basically, I modulate up to a new key. We're in, we've been in C major this entire time. And then after these, after this next part we go into E major we go up a major third uh, into a new key so that would be a good place to stop this first episode of the podcast and save that for the next episode which will hopefully be maybe even later this week since school school I'm in a I'm majoring in computer science at school and school hasn't started back up yet so I have more free time than I usually do which which will stink when I don't have it anymore. Um, so this, n these next eight measures, I basically give you theme number one again. Uh, it's been a while since we've heard it, but that's mostly because I've been talking so much. Um, but the main theme was the uh, theme that started out the piece, which is why it was called theme number one. And that comes in in the uh, alto flute. And I think I double it with some strings... Oh, no, I don't. I double it with the celesta. Um, so that sounds like this. And then it repeats that. Um, so the celesta, and, and the glockenspiel for that matter, even though the glockenspiel is not in this piece, uh, are very good at uh, kind of brightening up a melody like that because they, they're not, you know, they don't really sustain, you know, they're struck. So they're not, it's not like the flute where it's that constant note. And so they, obviously, I don't, I, that's probably so obvious I didn't need to say it. But so is a lot of what I'm saying. So that sounds really good if you, you know, double those up. I don't know. I guess it's an idea, or if... I don't know. Okay, um... 
The harp is still playing its Alberti basses as it was in the beginning, and the cello's double basses have been doing the same thing for almost the entire piece. My my apologies to the cellists and double bassists. Not, but I mean, you know, the role is important. Somebody's got to be playing those root <laughs> note things. Um, I think the uh, the last thing worth noting is that in this in this um. As I repeat this melody, I don't repeat it exactly as it is. Well, I repeat the I repeat the melody exactly as it is, but I put in uh, I guess you could call them filler phrases, which is what I was calling what I I guess I I've heard them called before, so I should start calling them that since I don't have anything else to call them. Um, I basically put in these filler phrases in the trombone. And they don't sound like much by themselves, um, but basically I stuck them in places where the melo where the melody is on a um, I think they're on when the melody is on a dotted half note. Basically, I put in these filler phrases so just so there's something more interesting during those uh, longer notes of the melody. Um, so I have those filler phrases. Basically, there are three of them, and I have them right when the uh, when that dotted half note comes in. And so that sounds like this by itself. So it's really nothing very interesting at all. Um, but they match the... Uh, they match the chord progression. If I put in the harp and the low strings, you can see that it goes with the... Obviously, it has to go with the uh, chord progression. And if I go ahead and play the... Uh, theme number one along with that in the alto flute and the celesta. So all together it sounds like this. So you get that kind of overlapping as well in this part too, even though even though it's not like it was before. Even though you do have a di very distinct melody this time that's playing the entire way through. So that makes it, since I'm repeating a theme that I've already stated twice in the entire piece, it's just something that makes it more interesting when you listen to it a second time around. And I think when you're listening, um, especially if you're a composer, Sometimes when you're listening to music, you can kind of hear filler phrases, even if they're not really in the music. You kind of, your head just kind of wants them to be there, I guess. Or at least that happens to me uh, when I'm listening to music and there are, even when I'm listening to my own music. Um, and I hear those kind of longer notes, but there's nothing in between. It almost sounds like there should be some kind of filler phrases in there. Um, but uh, the filler phrase, it's a nice thing to use to make it more interesting, but it's not as, 
I don't want to say it's not as interesting, but it's not as complex if I had just put in a completely uh, counter, a complete counter melody in there. Um, if I was doing a counter melody, then you'd probably want the same kind of structure where you'd have the counter melody more busy, you know, having more notes, more getting busier in the uh, places that the other melody is on a uh, longer note. So that, you know, your interest will be shifting between the two of them. And they won't sound like they're conflicting with each other. And I think that's pretty much it for today. Or at least for this test episode podcast. Um, basically, what happens in the next measure is it just jumps right up to E major. In fact, I can go ahead and uh, play that just so you see how it sounds. So it goes right back to the main theme after it uh, jumps up a major third. So it's not a very subtle modulation at all, There's and there's no preparation for it really, it's just boom, there it is. And But personally I kind of like the way that sounds, and I do that kind of major third jump a lot. Later on during, during the piece I go from uh, E major that was a that was a modulation from C major to E major. That's up a major third. Um, but later in the piece, I do that exact same thing. I go from E major up a major third to A flat major. And then if you go up a major third from A flat major, it goes back to C major, which is what this uh, piece started out in. And I do that kind of cycle a lot in a in a lot of other of my pieces, where I go from C major to E major to A flat major to C major, or some other keys, but with that up a major third, up a major third, and up a major third to get back to where you were at the beginning. So that's, I don't know if that's interesting or not, but I think it is. Um, because up a major third, for some reason, just sounds really good. Um, I've, I've done a lot of other different ones too, which maybe we'll get to if I can't get to do this podcast regularly. Hopefully we can get through the rest, hopefully this was somewhat interesting. I thought it was really boring. No, actually, I thought it was probably the most interesting thing I've ever done before. One of the things, hopefully, you noticed that I didn't talk about was my interpretation of everything I'm writing, because I've I've gone to music discussions, I guess you could say, like before, like sometimes, you know, you go to a symphony, and before the symphony, they'll have like a pre-symphony discussion, but they won't actually talk about any of the music, they'll just talk about people's interpretations of it, and that kind of gets really annoying. Um, I went to one, and it was like, Beethoven's 7th has a very polar bear quality at this point, and I, I thought, what? what? That's, that was just somebody's interpretation of it. Yeah, I could kind of see how that part might kind of sound like a polar bear, but I don't think that has anything to do with the actual music that has to do with somebody's thoughts about it, what somebody was thinking at that point. Um, and so I don't, I definitely don't want to do a whole lot of that because that's so subjective and I don't think it really carries a lot of, it might be interesting, but it's not very meaningful. Um, 
And I don't think music by itself, just music, if I was trying to tell a story with this music, then it might have an objective meaning I'm trying to get across, but I'd have to tell the story with the music. Like, I'd have to say it with words, either in, like, program notes or I'd have to talk about it. Um, but just as it is, with just music, um, maybe you can kind of get a hint at what I'm at what I'm uh, portraying just because of the title. It's Dragon of the Mist, so, you know, something big and powerful. Um, and maybe also something kind of... It kind of also has kind of a sad quality to it, I think. But, again, that's just all my interpretation of my own music, and I don't think that that has a whole lot of meaning besides my own interpretation of it. Uh, does that make any sense? The point is I'm not saying anything objectively with music, with my music, or with this piece in particular, at least. Um, I'm not, I'm not telling a story, and I don't want to, I didn't want to, and I don't ever want to blather about my own interpretation of what exactly the music means at that point, because it could mean anything you think you, you want it to mean, because there's no objective meaning at all. It's just music, what it is, and it'll make you feel something, but it won't give you any clear message about anything. It's not, it's not like words. It's not, doesn't have a precise meaning like words do. Um, so I, I don't want to uh, blather on about like here. I think the dragon is doing jump rope, and then here he's rolling in snow. Or here he's eating people. Because that would just be my interpretation of it. And that really wouldn't be telling you a whole lot. You might find it interesting, but it really wouldn't be telling you anything. And you, of course, can't tell other people what a piece of music should mean to them. Because that's, that's, just, that's just wrong. That's horrible. How could, you, how could you do such a thing? Hopefully I'll put in a theme, some kind of starting theme for this for this show with maybe some quotes from Amadeus or something uh, I have to uh, set up an email address for this show I don't know if anybody out there wants to email me anything um, if you go to www that's three w's I think um, .wizardwalk.com that's my main website and if you go there there are some forums there and so I'll probably create a the compose pile forum. I don't know if anybody wants to talk about anything I've said, but maybe if somebody does, I can put a forum there. And then I need to create some email addresses for the compose pile. So if you want to email anything about this show that you want to be read on the podcast, then email it to uh, Sean at thecomposepile.com. Or webmaster at thecomposepile.com. I'll register those two email addresses. Um, I'll register them. I'll create them. I don't have to register them. Because I own the domain. So you got those two email addresses if you want to email me anything. I'm probably not... Uh, I'm sure I won't get anything for this... For this first episode. I'll have to wait... A couple of years. Um, I also registered composepile.com. Just composepile.com. Without the the... Uh, just because that's somewhat easier. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Hopefully when I finish 
blathering about Dragon of the Mist, um, in the next episode or the episode after that, I'll put out the entire score of the PDF uh, on the uh, on the site. The problem, the the, the kind of trouble I have with making a PDF is that it um. I write the mu I write my music in a notation program, Overture 4, but as I'm writing it, I'm doing so much MIDI editing to it that it really is it gets to look really sloppy and it doesn't look at all like a score should look. So if I'm going to put the score on the internet, I basically need to go through and make everything nice and uh, pretty. I also have the pages of these enormously long lengths just so I don't have to be turning pages while I compose it. So if I want to put the score on the internet, I like have to, you know, really um, so I'd have a lot of reformatting to do, basically, before I put this on the internet. Uh, and it'd also be nice to, you know, kind of condense the score and take out the instruments when they're not playing and that kind of stuff. And I would have to format all the, uh, all the slurs are kind of all over the place right now, and all the, uh, dynamics markings, fortissimo and pianissimo, they're all over the place. And they're all wrong, because I, I use those... Uh, symbols in Overture 4, I use those symbols to send MIDI data to GPO. And if you're in a real score, and all of a sudden it says, you know, Forte is 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 that would be just it's, it's ridiculous for a real orchestra to be playing that loudly when I'm just trying to send some MIDI information to GPO. So, but anyway, hopefully the score will be up there eventually. Yep, I guess that's it for today. But I guess that's it. So. Thank you for listening. Hope you'll listen again. Hope you found it interesting. Somewhat, at least, maybe. Who knows? Maybe not. Maybe you'll never listen again. Sorry for wasting your time. But you actually wasted your own time because you chose to listen, so don't blame me. Have a good week, and hopefully I can make another podcast uh, sometime, eventually. Goodbye.